Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. This is your host, Menion, also known as Rob. So today I'd like to look at the fifth and final part of Janet Files, More Deadly Than the Male. Uh, this part is called Summing Up. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about some of the games I've been involved with, but uh, I'll probably leave that until a little bit later, uh, just to give you a little bit of an update. I've been... Uh, a little bit sick. I came down with a fever um, on Saturday past and uh, unfortunately I've been unable to get into any clinics. Nobody will see me um, and now it's because I've I've no longer got a fever. They say just wait until, you know, if you feel worse then give us a call and you can have a checkup. So I'm, I'm not even sure if I've got a cold or influenza or if I've got something worse. So I've decided to take my own advice and that, that of my friends and go into self-isolation for a week over Christmas, which is pretty depressing. Um, we were supposed to see my daughter. She was supposed to come and stay with us. Uh, and that's not going to happen. I haven't seen her since June. But um, um, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's better to be safe than sorry. And uh, I'm now spending my time in a small room and um kindly my my uh wife is dropping off food and drink for me at the door and I'm picking it up and trying not to uh endanger her you know um, some might think that's a little bit over careful but I I don't <laughs> so anyway uh I thought I'd use the time constructively and so here is the final part um of Janet Viles uh, interesting uh, series so let's get on with that then so part five uh, gives uh, Janet the opportunity to look at some of the some of the things that she's missed out the bits and pieces she's missed out previously in her women in role-playing series and uh, to start off this time she looks at science fiction games um, she notes that uh, she notes that uh, often, uh, while you'd expect the science fiction to show less um, problems than its fantasy or historical um, game counterpart, that often the same uh, issues are apparent even in that uh, that the science fiction uh, genre. She says, in a technological society, difference in physical strength. Uh, differences in physical strength are largely irrelevant. Unfortunately, not all science fiction writers seem to realise this. These writers, even, I am sorry to say, some female ones, are often technologically very inventive, but socially conservative, and assume that society will always consist of men doing things with women on the sidelines, if they are there at all. And then she gives a, a list of writers, which I'm not going to uh, include for the most part, um, because, you know, uh, I don't want to be controversial. Obviously, there's uh, there's good responses to her assertion. But um, she, yeah, she lists um, two of the female writers that she does lists are Andre Norton and Anne McCaffrey. Um, so she immediately here has um, looked at the science fiction games from the perspective of science fiction uh, itself um, and the way that the, the fiction has uh, a great um, 
influence on the way that the games themselves are put together. So what uh, Janet is really taking issue here uh, with here is that uh, the writers, including the female ones, have really made uh, science fiction look like a solely um, male preserve. Um, and she goes on to say that with a few honourable exceptions, the science fiction role-playing games also reflect this. Um, so she then goes on to point out that, uh, well, she points out first that um, often basically science fiction is little more than a kind of space opera in which, uh, you know, it's fantasy with knobs on, it's fantasy in space. And so um, this pulp influence on science fiction has, um, you know, simply um, moved the this, the scenery uh, and the the stories this to a slightly different setting, and make, kept all the same tropes. Um, she she also points out that um, science fiction role playing games. And I'll, I'll quote her again, also tend to have an excessively militaristic tone, again borrowed from the space operas. As I said last time, I don't personally think that many women are particularly interested in playing at being soldiers. So um, a little bit of a generalisation there, um, but probably not an incorrect one. She, she goes to look at some of the games that she feels are problematic and there are two really that she focuses on here. Um, the first is Traveller and the second is Paranoia. And remember, this is being written in 1987, so things may well have changed. So with regard to Traveller, she says that firstly, the first point that she, um, she has three points really um, of issues uh, about the way that Traveller is... Um, written. The first is that it forces all characters to pass through a military or paramilitary background. The second is that the skill structure leaves traveller characters unsuited to anything other than stealing starships and killing people. And the third is that supplements such as mercenary seem to stress that the emphasis is on powerful weapon systems such as plasma guns, powered armour, uh, and all this to the exclusion of everything else. The basic feel seems designed not to appeal to women, but simply to adolescent Rambos. Traveller also exhibits one very common trait in science fiction rules, paying lip service to equality, but no more. Um, yeah, so uh, those three points about Traveller all seem to be fairly interlinked, yeah, um, and uh, I'll be interested to hear what some of the uh, Traveller fans out there think of that, um, but it, from what I've heard it doesn't seem to be far off, I, I don't have, I haven't actually played Beyond Character Creation uh, in Traveller, so I can't really say, it's been a long time since I did that. She then turns her sights on paranoia, um, and again she's looking at this sense of uh, sort of false, false equality, you know. So, looking at Paranoia, presumably this is the Games Workshop one, um, she says the following. Another beautiful example is Paranoia. There are no sex distinctions in the complex. Oh yes, find an illustration in which the women outnumber or even equal the men. Tokenism rules. 
Okay, that, well, that's uh, a comment that people often make, even uh, well, particularly these days, uh, with regard to um, inclusivity, you know, and the representation of um, uh, minor, minority groups. Um, so that's of some interest. Her writing that in eighty seven, um, she uh, she then goes on to say. Uh, she says, spot the reference on page 32 of the Games Workshop printing to UVs, ultraviolets, keeping harems. The fact that it is the concubines having the children shows that it is the men who are the ultraviolets. Really, all I'm trying to say is that science fiction game designers ought to show a bit more imagination. That's yeah, not, not an unfair uh, appraisal, I think. This raises the question of um, what would an unbiased society look like for science fiction? I guess by unbiased, it means a, like a more egalitarian society, one that you might expect um, advanced technologies uh, to bring to, to you know, human um, society. So she says this, she says, Clearly, in a science fiction society, it ought to be possible to approach the utopia of an unbiased society to be fair to the science fiction community, there are some novels where such societies do exist, at least to an extent. And she gives Niven's uh, known space as an example, you know, a little bit of Ursula Le Guin. And she goes on, the problem for the referee is simply one of habit. The normal assumption is that the character um, is male. It is very easy to end up with a 90% male cast of NPCs only using women in exceptional circumstances. Um, and she suggests, um, I like, by the way, I do like the way she used a referee. It sounds very old school and it's also a good way of getting away from the master of DMing or GMing. But uh, that aside, she, she uh, suggests the method of rolling a D6, um, very arbitrary but to determine um, the, the sex of a character. You know, obviously we're only looking at two, two genders here. You know, this is 1987, let's not get too complicated. Um, and I, I also quite like this, you know, because um, I think randomness helps you break from um, certain assumptions um, on character that you make uh, based on the archetypes that we're exposed to from film and uh, media other media so sometimes you know rolling those dice brings up um different combinations of um uh, characteristics or 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 qualities or whatever you know in sex for example that um, when put together build something that's quite different from what otherwise you might uh, have have done had you had you uh, set about creating that uh, npc um, by yourself straight off your uh, the top of your head. Um, all right, so she goes on and um, she gives a reason for this as being quite simple. You know, this the reason for uh, rolling a dice. So after all, in an unbiased society, the numbers of active men and women will be equal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that sounds very good. Excuse me, I'm shuffling my papers here. Um, she gives some examples next. And uh, then talks about dystopia and post-apocalyptic worlds. So with regards to um, examples, um, 
she says, on a more positive note, there are some systems other than Traveller which are more to my liking. The, the recent Ring World game, I've never heard of this, is mechanically one of the best systems around. Its emphasis on characterization and on the skills other than combat should have opened new possibilities for science fiction gaming, certainly in areas more interesting to female gamers. Unfortunately, the known space background, which uh, was just too safe and orderly to write scenarios for, and games set on the ring itself risk quickly degenerating into a pseudo-fantasy structure. As a result, the game has not sold well. Dystopias are far more interesting and far easier to write scenarios for. If you design a, a society where part of the unpleasantness is sexual bias, decide why the bias is there. Hmm. Okay, so she, she's, she's not saying here um, or anywhere else, she's not saying you must write, you must produce a fantasy world in this certain way. Rather, I think she's saying be aware of what you're creating and the reasons why that world would be as it is and uh, make it interesting and lively. So anyway, she goes on to say that if you want to be sexist, justify your stance. For example, a particular society might demand that women are subservient to men on the basis of the local religion. Uh, further, she says, in another example, a post-Holocaust uh, world, excuse me, a post-Holocaust society, assuming you can justify such a thing existing. And I think here she's confused Holocaust with apocalypse. Uh, interesting. Might well hold male dominion as responsible for the disaster and therefore keep careful rein on its men. So still discussing the science fiction genre, Janet now looks at the effects of sex and pregnancy uh, in a future society. She says, in societies such as Huxley's Brave New World, reproduction and sex may have been separated. This is one method that ought to lead to woman, uh, women being free to take any role that a man can take. On the other hand, it may well dehumanise that society. That, that last comment kind of froze me a little bit. Um, it's only sort of placed in any context from the reference to Brave New World, where the, I guess, humanity very much is dehumanized by by the, the the genetic reproduction of the human race through the use of like machine machineries and uh, like test tubes in, in that setting and where sex is used merely as a it's as one as one way of people being um, given the same use as soma for example, the touchy-feelies in that novel. So it's a, it's a distraction from everyday life, from the, sort of the, the meaninglessness of, of human society within that world, and perhaps within ours. Um, and and uh, that's probably what she's talking about there, but it, again, it's not very well written, um, to my liking anyway. She, she then goes on to uh, talk about paranoia again this time she's not really looking at the she's not referring to the um suspect uh use of women or portrayal of women in gw's artwork rather she's um 
looking at the kind of society that it that might be possible if you were to use that world or that role-playing system. Less pleasant societies, such as that of paranoia, may seek to limit a citizen's sexuality so that drugs curb demand. This could result in men and women being treated precisely identically, since any physical difference will be unimportant. Physical differences might even have been bred out, leaving a race of hermaphrodites or asexuals. I personally don't like this idea. It would create a particularly dull world. Um, so, as an interesting last comment there, I, I think um, the whatever she might be saying, Janet often comes back to this point that um, there's, there's there is a certain magic in in having um, conflict within the world. So the the idea of of a utopian world may not be impossible. Uh, and it may be quite interesting uh, from a creative perspective, but from a from a dramatic perspective, from a from a yeah the perspective of gaming, uh, which is what we're really interested in, it's rather dull. Um, finally, she in this part anyway, she does go on to look at uh, some other various like other types of societies that could exist in a science fiction um, world. Um, she has a look at uh, Larry Niven's known space where there's a there are two sexes, but one of them only one of them is actually sentient. Uh, oddly enough, uh, the non-sentient one is female, which uh, obviously doesn't go uh, under the radar of Janet. Um, and she also refers to Ursula Le Guin's "The Left Hand of Darkness," where there's a very what she calls a superbly evocative exploration of a transsexual society. Very interesting. I've not read either of those. Having discussed science fiction in some detail, Janet then goes on to look at the historical games. Um, the ones she looks at here are Privateers and Gentlemen, which probably many people don't remember, uh, and also Pendragon, which I believe is um, coming up for a new edition uh, quite shortly. So um, she has this to say. Games set in a more or less accurate historical background provide serious problems for the feminist, since historical accuracy rears its ugly head. I freely admit that some societies were extremely sexist and that there is little a referee or player can do about this. Part of the interest in these games comes from the realistic historical background. And then, so she turns to um, privateers and gentlemen and... Um, she she points out that um, while it's it's almost impossible to create a female character within those rules, um, don't let historical accuracy prevent the appearance of any female characters in historical games. Uh, is her advice, uh, and she's here referring to you know um, real world um, maverick women such as uh, Bodica or Bodicea. Um, Jean d'Arc uh, and various other um, uh, interesting uh, active women throughout the ages. The women who do break away from the norm are likely to be extremely interesting and strong personalities, make the most of the opportunities and take care with designing them. Let the quality of female characters make up for the lack of quantity. 
For that matter, don't forget that the typical women of these societies were still people with their own feelings, aims and personalities. That's really good advice. She then uh, turns on to, uh, turns her attention to Pendragon. And um, again, um, as with privateers and gentlemen, there's this tendency for women to be largely ignored, or at least warrior women. Uh, and uh, she also points out that it's assumption that wives are only for the production of heirs rather than having any major importance in themselves is a problem. As a referee, she says, I find the statement that wives may be left nameless and characterless uh, incomprehensible. Why waste all those scenario opportunities? Why indeed? In the next section, the provocatively titled Sex and the Single Adventuress uh, sees Janet return to the fantasy game. And this time she's looking at the question of sex um, and in particular contraception. Now, one of the main arguments against uh, female adventurers in a fantasy setting, according to um, some of the men that Janet came into contact with, was that any female leading the lifestyle of a typical fantasy hero is likely to rapidly end up pregnant and be forced into early retirement. This is quite um, fascinating as an insight into the role-playing um, game scene in the 1980s, if anything. Um, mm, interesting. Um, and then she goes on to say, well, obviously there's some issues with this. First of all, there is no reason that the lifestyle of an adventuring woman will be identical to that of a man. Good point. And then she says, secondly, any reasonably intelligent woman who chose to live in that way would take precautions. And so from this point on, which she goes on to discuss um, uh, imagined and uh, real world uh, real-world um, contraceptive methods or ways of avoiding take, avoiding uh, getting pregnant, taking precautions. Um, she points out the, the, I don't know how to pronounce this, is it the Hauri or the Hori um, class, which was White Dwarf's infamous um, temptress class that had all these different magical abilities um, based on seducing uh, other characters. Now, in that class actually it was mainly women but i believe it could be men it was kind of a, a bit of a funny class itself but she points out uh that it's very odd that the holy class did not have any any spells or spell-like abilities that would enable her not to get pregnant um but such uh things have been known in in societies for well thousands of years and um do it be strong uh Good reasons why um, people would try to keep families smaller in many cases or try not to get pregnant at all. Um, Finally, Janet um, turns to gender as a central motivation. She says, it is quite possible to use gender differences as a major force within a campaign. All games need sources of conflict and the sex war certainly has possibilities here. Well, I'm not so sure. And in fact, Janet then goes on to say that not all players will be happy with such a structure 
and some may find it a little close to the bone. It may be sometimes necessary for the referee to remind players that attitudes of the campaign societies are not necessarily the GM's own. Uh, again, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I would probably avoid some of those, uh, that, that kind of uh, um, use of gender within uh, my uh, games. Um, interestingly, I think she's also using gender to mean sex here. Um, which is probably very different from what we do today. Um, but she does go on. She says, another area where gender can provide motivations is in that of romantic interest. Certainly a woman might find the rescue of her lover gives her a stronger motivation for becoming involved in the situation than simple greed for treasure. It could also lead to a more interesting and subtle contest than a straight kill the monster and steal the treasure structure. On the other hand, don't assume that all relationships between men and women will be sexual or even romantic. Platonic relationships can also be very deep and long-lasting and give strong reasons for actions. And she goes on finally to look at, well, she, she points out for one example of such a relationship might be um, a matriarch, uh, uh, the mother or a, an aunt or a grandmother or a sister of a player character who requires some kind of help um, rather than a, a potential love interest. And Janet then, at the end, she finishes with a quote. Um, and this is from Joanna Russ, um, who at the, uh, in the introduction to the adventure of Alex says, long before I became a feminist in any explicit way, I had turned from writing love stories about women in which the women were losers and the adventure stories about men in which the men were winners to writing adventure stories about a woman in which the woman won. It was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. And finally, Janet ends with, I hope that in the role-playing, uh, she says, role-gaming field, at least, these articles have helped make the change of attitude a little less hard. Well, I hope that's been easier to listen to than it has been for me to record. I've really enjoyed it, um, or at least I enjoyed reading it initially, and I'm happy to have done it. But I feel I've not really done a lot of, uh, I've not really done a good, such a good service to the, to the text, and I do recommend that you actually if you can track down these uh, adventure uh, articles, give it a read because it is something a little bit different, and it, it's it's um, it's not always it's not it's not uh, that common for such articles to appear in those times. Um, a lot of the advice she has as well. Um, if you can, if you're a man um, and you're not particularly interested in or not necessarily a man, if you're not particularly interested in gender or sex uh, issues at all and you think it's a non-question. But even then, I think there's a lot of things in these articles that you can um, transpose to other uh, topics of interest. Um, ultimately, I think it boils down to looking at people as people, <laughs> um, looking at them as being multifaceted, uh, individuals capable of all all different types of roles um, 
And this goes for whether you're looking at the woman or you're looking at other lineages or races or whatever you wish to call them, or, or uh, classes indeed, uh, anything else, you know, these societies as a whole. I think it's always possible to have a look at these things as having more than one level and operating in different ways depending um, on the, uh, the, the current circumstances and, and uh, motivations. So that's what I got out of it. I'm not sure if you did, but uh, I'm happy to have done this. And uh, thank you all for following me through these, uh, through these articles. If you have anything to add, uh, and, and certainly there's a lot to add that I'm unable or unable or uh, to to do myself, uh, please go ahead. Um, finally, uh, sorry for the voice or the lack of uh, coherent, um, intelligent uh, commentary in between reading passages. That's down to my lack of wit, and also uh, to some extent, I'm not feeling that well. So that's, uh, um, I, I ask for your indulgence in that. Anyway, I'm going to finish here. Um, thank you so much. It's coming very uh, up very close to the um, Christmas season um, and the holiday season. So if you're celebrating any holidays or you're taking a rest from all, you're seeing family, um, whatever you're doing, uh, enjoy, um, take care. And uh, hopefully before the end of this uh, holiday season, I'll have another um, episode coming out and talking about something a little bit less uh, complicated, probably some role-playing news or some ideas about next year. So uh, until then, goodbye.